and that we love a chat. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, stimming out of your frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too. Collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory natters. You know what? Right. Hi everyone, it's Jenny here with another Sensory Matters show and today I am chatting to Kelly Johnson who is way over the pond in Montreal in Canada. So hi Kelly, how are you today? Good, how are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. Good, good, good. So I got um, word of Kelly and what she does basically through Carla who works with us in Canada um, and Kelly's done a bit of ambassador work for us over there I believe. Um, but uh, we like having people on who can tell lovely positive stories about their autism journey and inclusion and uh, basically Kelly sits on the Autism Canada board she's autistic herself and got quite a late diagnosis and has also fairly recently set up a business called Completely Inclusive which is all about teaching companies how to make um, themselves more accessible to the disability market and taking advantage of all the great people out there who can do great jobs, but uh, maybe the, the place that they're looking at is not equipped or set up to handle that. So I thought we would just start at the very, very beginning with your personal story, your autism journey. So walk me through it from the beginning. How did, how did it all come about? So growing up, I did have, I had certain challenges. Um, my parents, um, I mean, I think at the time in the 80s, it wasn't really very popular to diagnose autism as much, and certainly not in girls. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was I was labeled, you know, a picky eater, um, those kind of things, uh, without actually getting help. Um, yeah. The thing is that I did quite well in school. I got very good marks, um, but I did have some instances of, of bullying and the like. And, and just as I got older and older, I just... Um, felt I didn't quite understand a lot of times why I couldn't do the things that other people did or I didn't find joy in the things that common people do okay. and I, I just thought I was broken I thought there's something wrong with me um, and I did go to counseling and nobody could really solve my problem or, or anything um, and it wasn't until I had my son and he got diagnosed when he was about two and a half right. um, and then I started to kind of see well you know his childhood and his behavior seems kind of similar to mine yeah. um, so I ended up going and getting um, my own diagnosis finally and that uh, that was a huge relief yeah I was gonna say how has that impacted you since you, you say a relief what what did it what were the feelings that you felt when you got that diagnosis I uh, I call it almost the rebirth it sounds a bit cheesy maybe but it gave me a new sense of identity and it gave me a positive sense of identity. So I, I didn't have to uh, fight so hard to, to, I guess, to fit in exactly the same way. It gave me that, um, that grace to kind of accept myself yeah. um, and to say no to things that I, you know, rather than forcing a, a square peg into a round hole kind of thing, I said, well, I don't have to do it that way. I can do it my way or not at all as a choice. And um, just the negative identity that I had where I thought I was broken and I thought I was wrong and I thought I was uh, just not capable, uh, all of that I was able to to release, you know, and, and get rid of that and stop blaming myself. 
Yeah, so it's such a common common thing, especially with late diagnosis, that there is that feeling of, of relief and that you know you've you've not done anything wrong. You're not you're not a bad person. You're not difficult. It's just your makeup and and allowing yourself to understand that and then make changes to fit in with your life and feel good about yourself. It's it's a, a story I hear all the time. Yeah, um, not not an uncommon one. What you, you mentioned when you were at school, you just felt like you didn't have the same joy uh, in other people at specific things. So you, you said you did well at school. But what what kind of traits, I suppose, what, what were your looking back autistic traits that at the time you didn't realize were autism? There's things uh, I would say um, socially in the sense that I. I, I really don't like small talk. I still don't like small talk, and I'm I'm not well versed in the art of small talk. <laughs> I've gotten more diplomatic as I've gone on, but um, uh, a lot of the times, you know, as a kid, I was I was seen as bossy mm-hmm. uh, and a know-it-all. Um, and the fact is, yes, I was know-it-all. <laughs> I, I did literally I did know it. That's the thing, and it's just about difference in how you express that rather than saying, "Well, hey, it's obvious. Come on, guys, how come you don't get this?" Um, yeah. Because I would see the pattern, I would see the logic immediately, um, and just knowing not to not to say those things, <laughs> you had to, you know, I had to kind of grow a filter, an appropriate filter. Yeah. Uh, so I and there's times too when I wanted to to play alone. I was happy to be alone in my thoughts, and then my friends took it as a personal. Uh, failing of theirs like oh well she doesn't like us anymore yeah I still like them I just didn't always want to be with them all the time yes absolutely and so do you remember a particular time at school where you you know with I don't know what you call it in Canada but was primary school easier than high school um or did it or was it just all the same I was bullied more in primary school than in high school okay um when I got to high school, um, I kind of, I guess, saw it almost like as a new, a new chance or something. There were very few of, because there were, I mean, there's a choice of many high schools. So there was only about five of us in my original uh, primary school that went to the same high school in the end. Right. So it kind of gave me a chance to to meet new people and to start over. Right. Um, and uh, what I did is I actually became the class clown instead. So rather than having people laughing at me, I had people willingly laughing with me. Okay. Uh, uh, and I, I just did it that way. So did you find that, bearing in mind that you, you're saying you don't like the small talk and the kind of social, maybe the social side of things is the wrong thing, but did you find that exhausting? Like, it is exhausting. Yeah. Put, put, it, <laughs> it goes back to the whole classic female autism of masking, doesn't it? And you, you found a... Yeah a way to fit in, I suppose, by playing the class clown. Yeah. And I, I still find it exhausting at times. I, uh, um, like we did a photo shoot recently at work and I, I find smiling, um, not that I don't like to smile. And, and obviously when I laugh and it's a natural laugh, I'm, I'm, it's a real smile. Yeah. But when I, when I'm taking a photo, I feel like I have to put on a, an act. Yeah. I honestly feel like I'm acting. I don't feel like it's uh, genuine. Yeah. Okay. And so your your son was really the kind of trigger to you thinking, well, hang on a minute, hang on. But, um, so what did you see in him that you could relate to yourself? I think it, it wasn't always so much what I saw. It was what my husband did not see okay. in the sense that I understood. It seemed like almost innately what my son was thinking. He was nonverbal at the time um, for quite some time. 
and I just seemed to kind of almost have a, a, a an understanding, a deep understanding of what he was going through without, more so than like regular, I'd say maternal instinct. Okay. You know, like he would have, he would kind of freak out over some sort of texture. My husband's like, well, why did he do that? And I said, well, you, you just did this and you did this. So then obviously he's going to be upset. And my husband's like, huh? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, um there were things like that, and there were, uh, I guess, just parts of his behavior. Um, and I kind of realized that I stimmed as well, but I had suppressed a lot of it um, growing up because, you know, my, my father had told me I looked weird and things like that. So, yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, and you said he got a very early diagnosis at two and a half. Yeah. Um, was that something you guys pushed for or something that the kindergarten and things picked up on oh we definitely had to push uh, okay so my background is in linguistics and I worked with um, doing speech therapy like on a volunteer basis with kids right. so from when he was born I was doing speech therapy exercises because I wanted him to be trilingual like I wanted this polyglot child <laughs> speaking to him in French and English and German and yeah. and he wasn't responding to any language um he seemed to understand what we were saying we didn't he didn't always um he didn't answer to him his name he didn't um he would kind of run off on his own <laughs> he would not look back you know kids yeah. will usually run a little bit and then look back he didn't he just ran off mm -hmm. uh, uh he was having feeding troubles um so we we started to see signs and and mostly it was first it was the language delay that that caught me because I was like well I'm doing all this work mm -hmm. I'm doing essentially doing speech therapy with him and and nothing's happening and definitely something should be happening um, and we were signing so he signed a bit which was great mm -hmm. um, and so first I took him to speech therapy uh, then I took him to OT and then I I basically had to fight the doctor to get him diagnosed as autistic because. The thing with him, he's he's amazingly extroverted and friendly and gregarious and yeah. uh, and and cute, you know, amazingly cute. So then he would go into the office and and he would smile and he would flap and the doctors are like, oh, he's just a charming little child, you know, yeah. <laughs> but he's not eating. Yeah. And, and yes, he's cute and he looks at you, but it doesn't, you know, there's still we're still missing something here. Yeah. So it took a very long time, I find, to uh, to convince doctors. So we ended up going um, the private route. Because here in Canada, we you know we could go and on a wait list, and there's a there's a public um, there's a public wait list for the hospitals and such, and they're quite long. Yeah. Uh, so instead, we paid uh, we paid for a private psychology evaluation. And do you find because some people have said that if you go private, then that diagnosis isn't taken as seriously as as a kind of non-private one. Is that something that happens in Canada or not? I haven't noticed that being an issue. No. That's good. Um, okay, so, but but at what point did you think autism not, because I guess in your childhood, exactly what you said at the beginning, that it wasn't really as well recognised, the, the awareness was much lower, so in many ways, as hard as it is having a late diagnosis, it's no wonder it wasn't picked up, especially in girls with you, but we've come on so much now, so did you think that your own awareness of autism had grown that much? despite you not having a diagnosis yourself, that you were more equipped to spot it in him? Um, I suppose my question is, why, why, why did you think autism and not anything else? Oh, um, 
there was a great, I don't know if it's still up, there was a wonderful project by Harvard University um, where they collected videos of typical autistic children. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I watched the videos of these other kids, and there was one of a boy um, in a park and he's, you know, he's not playing in the park. He's not running around on the swing or the slide or anything. He's sitting on the side humming and he's running the sand through his fingers and looking at it. Yeah. And that's exactly what my son would do if we took him to the park, you know, yeah. to the point where we didn't even bother to take him to the park very much anymore because he didn't want to go on a slide. He didn't care to go on a swing. Yeah. Um, he would just play the wood chips or sand or whatever and just run it through his hands. And that was, you know, that was all he did. Yeah. And I said, oh, my gosh, you know, that's him. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so he's, you mentioned you were a picky eater as a child, and, and so clearly you're saying that he, he was as well. Um, yeah. Because how old is he now? He's nine. He's nine. Um, so has that improved any? Uh, a so little. He's Rocky? still got his favorites. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's essentially uh, a vegetarian. <laughs> uh, he eats um, one type of fruit, he'll eat, he'll eat berries. And uh, otherwise, it's mostly he likes cheese sandwiches, uh-huh. um, sometimes peanut butter sandwiches, but mostly sandwiches. Okay. And what <laughs> and, about uh, for you? Have you? Has your diet improved with age? Have you managed to find strategies? Oh, yes. Yeah? Yeah, greatly. Um, no, I'm, I'm quite adventurous now, I think. I mean, there's still certain things that I, I stick to, um, and especially if, I'm, if it's a high-stress time, then I'm going to go back to my old favorites. Yeah. But, um, no, I've tried many. And how how did you how did you manage that? How do you go from being you know very sensitive to taste and texture, and and then to be able to explore other things? Is that something you consciously did? Um, I don't think it was so much conscious. It, it depended on the people I was with. Okay. Um, I I started experimenting a lot with different foods when I met my husband. So I was nineteen when we met. Okay. I was quite young. Yeah. Um. And um, I think it was just kind of he has he's always been to me he's he's this very um, calm and and quiet patient kind of uh, steady force in my life. Yeah. Uh, so there was never you know we would go out to different restaurants and stuff and there was never any pressure from him. Yeah. He was he would eat different things and it was basically I'd say a lot of times through him because if I would try something that he had that I hadn't tried before. Yeah. And then slowly got into all sorts of different flavors. Yeah. So okay. he, you know, he never made fun of me for it. He never, he never picked on me for anything. Yeah. He never forced me. You know, it was just very, um, here, try this. <laughs> sure. So yeah, that's that, that kind of no pressure environment. Take it, try it when you're good and ready. I suppose really worked. Mm-hmm. Um, for you. So what about um his his. Um, how it impacted on him and yourself. You mentioned the big relief in terms of getting the diagnosis. He obviously mm-hmm. married you age 19. Um, you, you were clearly autistic at the time because you, you, you know what I mean, but nobody yeah. knew. So how, how did he feel when you got the diagnosis? <clears throat> I think it helped explain things for him as well. Yeah. Um, and it's changed um, to some extent the way that we communicate or the way that we um, understand where these miscommunications happen. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's much faster now. I think there's a lot less fighting in that sense um, because we can say, oh, well, you know, it's because of this. I meant this yeah. and you, you meant this and you said this and this is why I thought, you know. Yeah. 
Um, so we're just very careful about it now, I think, and um, and just conscious about it. So, yeah. so in many yeah. ways, it's it's made made everything stronger by the sounds of it, better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So for you, diagnosis very very positive gave you a big relief. Um, you know, gave you an identity of who you are. Reinvented yourself in many ways because you were able to accept yourself. Um, mm -hmm. So a very positive experience. Did you did you seek support? Because one of the things I hear a lot is your son getting such a young diagnosis has probably got lots of support in his life. Yep. Um, yep. As an adult, a lot of that seems to stop. Um, have, have you managed to get support that you need? I've uh, I tried and I gave up. Okay. <laughs> um, I looked around. There were some OTs that said they may work with uh, with adults. And then when you mention autism, they're like, "Well, huh?" Like they, it's like as if they know it works with kids, and then they don't seem to understand how that works with an adult. Like not able to transfer those skills. Okay. Um, so uh, no, I haven't. I don't feel that I've um, had everything I think I could benefit from. I think a lot of a lot of my my understanding and my growth has come from just being connected with other autistic adults and sharing our experiences. Yeah. Um, you know, we're able to exchange and say, well, what works for you and yeah. and get those kind of ideas. So I think there's more of that going on. Yeah. So if you could build like an autism support service for adults, what would you want it to provide for people that you don't feel you got? I really like um, I like the mentorship aspect. I, I like um, I, I have an absolutely wonderful time being in the presence of other autistic people, and I I don't feel like we have enough of that. Yeah. Uh, Autism Canada has made some conferences in the past. We didn't have one this last year, but um, I love those conferences. <laughs> I just yeah. I just love them. Like I just that's where I really feel at home. I was going to say because uh, it feels like your people, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I know I, I I almost like I just feel like I I just totally understand what they're saying. Even if it comes out all muddled, I even understand why it came out muddled, and I understand what they were trying to say and how yeah. it came out that. Way, you know, um, it's to me it's just wonderful. Um, I think a lot of adults need need support sometimes with just everyday living things. Even if we have been uh, living independently, mm -hmm. we still struggle a lot, and even to 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 be at that point where we're living independently, it doesn't mean that we're not, um, it doesn't mean that we're not struggling or we're not still having challenges with certain things. You know, I know for some it's money management. Yeah. Um, I I really have the worst time with exec executive functioning, even though you know I still work, I I keep a job and I have a home. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, we recently got somebody to come help house clean yeah. because I just felt like I was just so bogged down that I, I I just and then you look at it and you're like well I can't I don't even know where to start <laughs> I just need somebody to come in and start yeah and so I think yeah yeah and it's just um if we had more supports like that more things uh or just also just to take away the stigma of it because a lot of people they feel bad if they're going out to order takeout all the time yeah uh, and I, I really we shouldn't I mean because in the end it's everybody needs to do what they need to do and, and there's lots of there's plenty of people who will go and get takeout every night or or uh, you know if they have the money for it some people will have you know a chef cook for them on the weekend you know yeah um 
the idea of needing help, I don't think should be, it shouldn't be stigmatized and it should be more available, especially to people with low income. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you then get involved with Autism Canada? Was that pre your diagnosis or after? Uh, it was mostly after. And uh, when I first, first contacted them, I was, I was looking for more supports for women and I was trying to find something available in Canada. <laughs> Or, or in Quebec, at least, where I was, um, that was specifically for women. Um, because I do think we, we present differently and we have different issues. And, and uh, again, the support of women is, is you know, specific mm-hmm. and I think needed. Um, so there was one in Ontario, but um, there was nothing really near me. And I, I, I tried to start a little group and then nobody wanted to come. So... Yeah. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, uh, really push with it. Um, and then since then, like I have, I have found, uh, there's a lot of online groups. There's a lot of, um, like Facebook has a lot of good groups and there's a, there's a French group in Montreal, uh, uh, for autistic people and they go on outings together. Yeah. Um, and there's an English, uh, there's not an English group in Montreal that I know of, um, but the Autism Canada has like a, a nationwide uh, Facebook group. Okay. So what what um, kind of things do you now do with them, with you being on the board, and what does that involve? So um, being on the board is more strategic. It's a I've I've only been on the board now for a year and a half, not quite, no, two years, yeah. not quite, um, and. Uh, it's, it's actually been more challenging than I thought it was going to be. I'd never sat on a board before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so very nice of them to take me on. But um, I am one of only two autistic people on the board. Okay. So that has been, uh, I think, a bit of a, a challenge. Okay. Uh, I am one of the only persons of color on the board, mm-hmm. uh, which also I think is, it's, is problematic. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think that our board is representative of Canadians as a whole. Okay. Uh, we don't have any Indigenous people on the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I don't want to you know speak badly of it, but I, I do want to address it because it is a problem, and I, I think it needs to be um, it needs to be fixed. It needs to be it's something that that we can definitely improve on. Yeah. And I hope that uh, my work and my presence there will continually remind them, and to also encourage. Um, different marginalized people to to apply to be members on the board yeah absolutely so you enjoy your work with them yeah it's it's like again it's quite challenging i i had no experience with it so i kind of jumped into this um uh, but i'm learning i'm learning a lot uh there are a lot of amazing uh passionate people mm-hmm. uh, and we are you know we are working to try and get things done uh, last year we went to parliament to um try and sway the government's uh, issue of the DTC, which is the Disability Tax Credit. Okay. Uh, that is, uh, recently they have, the government has been making it difficult for people to get the Disability Tax Credit. Right. Um, and they've been taking away people's Disability Tax Credit. So people, and this is happening with um, diabetics, it's happening with uh, people who have lost limbs. Uh, the government is making them go and prove that they are still needing insulin or that their limb is still gone. <laughs> uh, 
it's awful. It's absolutely awful. Yeah. Uh, it, it didn't used to be that way, and uh, we're not quite sure why that's happening right now, but um, it's causing fight. a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah, but we need to fight. I mean, we, we've teamed up with uh, with Diabetes Canada. We teamed up with the uh, Multiple Sclerosis Society. We're, we're, we're trying. All of us need to fight. All, of, all Canadians need to fight to maintain these, these tax credits. Yeah, okay. So how do you go from where you were, and you've got a day job. What's your day job? So my day job is in marketing. Okay. Um, I'm a marketing coordinator at a, a tech company, so it's a software implementation company. Okay. Uh, so I've always um, I was looking back at it because somebody called me very creative, and I didn't think I was creative. And I looked back and I thought, well, actually, every single um, marketing job or creative writing job I had, well, not creative writing, but I guess content creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, has been in the IT sector. <laughs> it's always been very analytic. I'm very, this all nonfiction. I don't do fiction writing. Yeah. So it's all been, um, you know, very technical. Uh, I have to learn the how the software works um, and uh, and sell it. And essentially, that's what I have to do. I have to make it interesting, right? just taking a short break to let you know about this week's fabulous offer so this week you can get three adult flip bangles for just one credit yeah one credit not three one so that's like getting three for the price of one go check it out great for fidgeting great for chewing fantastic deal on top of that, as usual, if you need any support, drop us a message. We're always here to help. And please do chat among yourselves in the Facebook group, our Chewy Gem Sensory Support Group. Go join it. Loads of peer-to-peer support and just a fantastic group of people that like helping each other out. So look forward to seeing you there. Back to the show. Yeah, so um, do you do you enjoy your job <laughs> it's a loaded question no it's not that's fine <laughs> uh, yes um and uh previous to this i was working i was doing the same thing but i had a remote job so um the whole company was remote in that case okay um and i actually found it somewhat more challenging to some extent at times being remote right. um when you would think well i i, I do like to work alone yeah. um but I actually do enjoy going into the office um, and having the one-on-one connection with, with my coworkers. Um, in my case, um, my job uh, requires me to travel to the other offices, which are in Ontario. Mm-hmm. So about once, like once a month, I am flying out to different regions in Ontario. Yeah. Uh, and again, that, that face-to-face relationship, being there in person, I find it's, it just, uh, it, it's just, better for for a working relationship sometimes that you need to actually be in each other's presence and 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 see each other it's it's better than just a phone call yeah yeah Uh, i find that helps so great okay and um so do do your employers know that you have autism oh yes like i'm i am uh i mean if you go on my linkedin i'm constantly posting about autism and stuff and i I, it's all over. It's I don't hide it. Um, yeah. And I, I celebrate many aspects uh, in the sense that I've, I've just uh, a recent anthology I contributed to just came out. Um, that one's called Knowing Why. Okay. Uh, and previous to that, there was um, All the Weight of Our Dreams. So that came out, uh, I think, last year. 
uh, I'm, I got accepted for a third. So that's going to come out in a year or two. So I mean, I post all these, I post all these things. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing the books that I'm in and I'm, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and when I went for my interview, um, I told them mm-hmm. because I just, I don't really want to work with anybody who is, who doesn't want to work with me yeah. in that sense. Uh, and that's what I find, um, when I go and, and I say, if I say I'm autistic during an interview, um, the best responses I've ever had were basically saying, okay, well, what does that mean for you and, and what can we do? What yeah. do you need from us? And that to me is how we start a, a working relationship that works, Absolutely. especially because once you, for me anyway, I don't really require a lot. I, I All I ask for really is some some understanding that there are times when I'm going to ask more questions than, and it's going to seem to them, it might seem strange or some things might seem obvious, but I, I, I will look for clarification where I need it. Yeah. Uh, I prefer to have instructions written down. Yeah. And um, I'm sensitive to strong perfumes and things like that. Okay. So, so your current employers, have they managed to accommodate those things for you as best yeah. they can? Yeah. Um, I guess the perfume one's probably a hard one to to manage. I'd say that mostly off. I don't really smell anybody who is um, going overboard on it. Um, I, I I can tell you I've worked in some places in in the past where people were actually spraying perfume at their desks. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I can't take that. Yeah. Uh, I'd say that uh, probably where I am now is probably one of the most scent free offices I've ever been in. Great. Good. Yeah. So how how has it moved then from all of everything that's happened to you starting your business completely inclusive? How's that ah. come about? I um I had started out wanting to do kind of um kind of an autism consultant sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, and I found that um, parents weren't really open to that concept, okay. or they certainly weren't open to paying an autistic person for that. It seemed that they wanted their information to come from psychologists or ABA therapists. But um, the minute that, you know, I, I could give advice, but the minute that I said I was autistic myself, that was like, oh, no, 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 well, we're not going to listen to her. Wow. Um, That's yeah, incredible. It, well, it's it very much like... The other way around. <clears throat> no. Um, and I found, too, because a lot of them, they just can't understand. They don't believe. They, uh, they oh, well, you know, you the, the whole, like, you're not like my child. And I said, well, no, I'm not. I'm I'm 38 now, so I don't act like I did when I was five. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> these things change, and yeah. your child will change, too, whether you believe it or not. I, I promise you your child is going to change and develop and grow. Um, and I think it's it's a disconnect. It's a disconnect for People, I find, get very, very stuck in the now, which is fine, too. I understand that. Uh, It happens to me, too, as a parent sometimes, too. You kind of get stuck in the now and the, oh, today is a really rough day. And you think, is it always going to be like this? And then you have to kind of remind yourself, no, it's not always going to be like this. And then, or you can console yourself in the sense, well, if it might always be like this, and we'll come up up with a way to to deal with it, right? There, there are going to be things that are going to change. There are going to be things that, that are not as easy to change. Yeah. Anyway, uh, from all that, uh, I also decided that I think there were enough, in a sense, enough uh, autistic adults trying to, to do good work and give advice that I kind of wanted to include everybody. I didn't feel that, I didn't feel that it made sense to include other disabilities, to, to not include other disabilities. Yeah. Um, 
when it came to talking to employers about what they can do. Because what I realized is that when you make something accessible for one person, it actually makes life easier for everyone. Yeah. And it means no brainer for a yeah, business. Absolutely. So. Okay. So you've, you, is there somewhere people can go and look at what you do? Yep. So I have a website. Um, it's, oh boy, <laughs> I have, I have a few domains. The, the easiest one is compinclu.ca. It's C O M P I N C L U S dot C A. So it's, it's just a shortened completely inclusive dot C A. Um, and I, again, I'm very active on LinkedIn, like almost yeah. all the time. That's where, uh, I do a lot of my, um, sharing of things. There's a business page on LinkedIn as well. So I, I try to share a lot of, uh, disability advocacy, yeah. uh, you know, other places that are doing it well, there are a lot of other companies and, and restaurants that are, are doing a good job and jumping on board. And I think just getting with the times in terms of making things accessible for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Okay. Um, so if, how, how does it work if someone comes to you then? Are you looking for businesses to come to you and say, right, we want to get better at this? Yeah, I think it takes a, a whole um, shift in the business culture. So uh, what I do is I, I will go in and I'll do uh, an audit of their current workplace. Okay. So that can be the physical uh, changes that I think they need to make. It could be, you know, you need to change your doorknobs to make them easier to turn and you need to uh, add a, a bar or a ramp or something. Mm. But there's also the in terms of HR, there's also the whole culture of their inclusion, mm -hmm. uh, what kind of strategy they're using, what kind of words they're using. Mm -hmm. uh, because for me, when I when I think of inclusion um, and diversity, um, I want to make sure that they're they're making themselves welcoming and open to uh, people of color, um, people with different sexual orientations or gender presentations. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes the language that they use they don't always realize that it can be kind of off-putting mm -hmm. or they just, people will look at it at the job um, posting and they'll feel like, well, no, I, I don't think I'm going to fit in there. And that's probably not the case. It's just that they're just not doing a, an effective job at, at advertising themselves as being um, open yes. or being equipped to be open. Uh, so I look at everything and then I'll give them a report on what they can do to make changes. And what's interesting too is that typically um, most changes actually cost less than $500 to implement. Wow. Okay. And a lot of times, um, companies are really concerned. Oh, if we're going to, we're going to, we, we, you know, we, we know we have to do this, but it's going to cost us like thousands of dollars and actually no. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is that also most disabled people, because we've been living with our disability all our lives, we've come up with ways that make it work. And we have a lot of the tools that we already need. Yeah. It's just an issue. Uh, let's say I want my screen reader uh, to be, you know, my software needs to be uh, installed at work. Mm -hmm. That's all. It's yeah. really not, you know, it's not that complicated. Yeah. It's not rocket science in the end. Um, so I, I just, a lot of my work is uh, also just dispelling the myths. And um, I can go in and do a training, a, what I call a sensitization training, uh, talking about, again, about the language that you're using yeah. uh, when you're speaking in the office. Um, 
and just, you know, little tips so that they're not caught like a deer in headlights. I don't know if you've seen this. <laughs> like if a disabled, sometimes this happens, like a disabled person will walk into a restaurant um, and let's say they're not, um, they might have cerebral palsy. They might be not be speaking as clearly as somebody else. And, and the person behind the, the, the cash is basically stuck like a deer in headlights. Like, what do I do now? It's like, well, you talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> You can still talk to them. You know, a person in a wheelchair doesn't mean that you can't talk to them. Um, so that kind of idea, I think a lot of it is, a, is about um, lifting the stigma yeah. and surround it. Yeah, and I also think giving people the confidence to talk, because I, I think that the language is so important, but the language can also stop people if they're worried about using the wrong language, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so it's it's not putting the fear of God into people about saying the wrong thing, because otherwise, that's why you maybe get the rabbit in headlights. Um, yeah, yeah. But from your experience of the companies that you've talked to and worked with, do you find most are willing, most are really wanting to do this? It's been an uphill battle. <laughs> oh, really? I would have thought that yeah. most people would be, yeah, we're up for this. This is this is the modern world, and we've we've really got to do it. I wish, I wish, but I find we're quite behind. Um, okay. And especially Canada does not have a, a nationwide disability act. Like the US has the American Disability Act yeah. that forces companies basically to be accessible and they can be open to a lawsuit if they're not. Whereas in Canada, we actually have no such thing. <laughs> we have the uh, Charter of Rights that says that you, uh, you still have to treat a disabled person the same as anybody else. Okay. And they could argue if they get discriminated in a job, but that's still a whole human rights tri tribunal thing rather than having an actual act across Canada that says, you know, buildings have to be like this or, I mean, Montreal is an awful example. We're absolutely awful. Wow. We've, we've only got 11 accessible subway stations Wow. Okay. out of the whole. Yeah. And uh, the, now the city is saying, well, maybe we can get them all accessible by 2038. <laughs> wow. 2038. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's uh, so, a long time. So it's awful. This it's, but it's accepted, yeah. right? And if if nobody's really fighting it, this is this is how it is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So if you were gonna give people listening to this who maybe run their own business or or work in a, an organization, just some real simple, fairly low cost things that could be done that would make a big mm -hmm. difference to people's lives, what would that be? I think the easiest thing really is to um, mm, it, it should be easy but it, I guess it's uh, it almost feels complicated sometimes yeah. I, I think um, you know talking to people being being curious about people I find uh, if, if, if a company is kind of curious about what they can do first, mm -hmm. how about this? It's, I think, almost about enlarging your circle. There's a whole world of, of, of disabled people out there who are willing to work. Yeah. And it's the idea of, of not creating a job specifically for a disabled person. It's about having the disabled person come into an already created job. Because yeah. I find what exists right now uh, we do have some government organizations that do this sort of work to some extent, but it's very much of let's make an entry level uh, kind of thing and then pat the company on the head for saying, good job, you did a good thing, you hired a disabled person and now they're they're sorting bags mm -hmm. or something, right? Which is 
again, it's not, uh, we're, we're capable of more than that. Yes. You know, the idea of having a job or any job or just because uh, this is what you think they can do, whereas, well, no, we can do a lot more. Why don't you, <laughs> why don't you integrate us into a regular job and see what we can do rather than thinking you have to create some sort of menial task for us. Yes. And then and then say that you're doing something for the social good. I don't I don't think it it should be that way. I I don't like this this pity idea. No. So it it should just be whether you're in a wheelchair, whether you've got a hidden disability, or whether there's there's just nothing. Is that mm-hmm. person capable, skilled, and equipped to do the job? Who's the best fit for the job? And then all those other considerations should come second to that. Right. Um, so you know if the person in the wheelchair is the best fit for that job give them the chance but let's make sure we've got a ramp so that they can get into the building you know that that kind of thing exactly yeah yeah it's like it's to me it's almost the easiest thing to do it's a no-brainer but it's almost the hardest thing to get people to uh shift their thinking yes and it's that whole don't not seeing the disability it's not you know try and not see the disability just try and see the person and what they're capable of right and then that stuff comes there's just things that need to be overcome or slightly adapted yeah because i find a lot of time too a lot of us with with kind of the more hidden disabilities um when you disclose it it's like sometimes there's some people where it feels like you're walking around with a a sign on your head yeah. <laughs> because then the, 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 their expectations of you change yes. and their perceptions of you change and it, you really shouldn't because you're still the same person that you were and were, you know, or you'll have people who will be like, well, I didn't think you were, or I didn't, you don't look autistic. Well, yeah. It's yeah. like, well, what does that, what am I supposed to look like exactly? <laughs> but yeah. I know it's, it's not easy, is it? It's, it's, it's hard. There's a lot of shifts still to happen in terms of mindset and things, but I'm the, I feel positive every single week when I talk to people because there are so many people fighting the fight. Um, mm-hmm. And if you think back to when you were a child and the awareness that existed then to what there is now, it just gives you real positive feeling that we are moving forward. Um, oh, yeah. So much has changed. Yeah, so much has changed. And it's, it really is just the tip of the iceberg, though. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, organisations like yours, completely inclusive, will hopefully normalize a lot of this stuff um and and change that rabbit in the headlight fear of things to just being the norm where regardless of um who anyone is or what anyone has or that it's not about that yeah yeah that's what i want to see i want to see a whole change in society i'll start with businesses but i want all of society to change yeah so final question then. So it's a big question, <laughs> um, which is if you could like describe what the perfect world would look like, the perfect society would look like in 15 years time once our work is done. Not that I think it'll be done in 15 years time, but let's pretend it will be. Um, what would it look like? Well, I'm on a, I'm on a bit more of a crunch because um, I, I gave myself nine years to get this done <laughs> because um, my son will be 18. Yeah. Uh, and that came from last year when I told him that uh, in his case, you know, I was talking about the disability tax credit earlier. Yeah. Um, his disability tax credit is supposed to expire when he's 18 because I guess autism is supposed to magically disappear from his life. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, I said, okay, well, I've got I've got nine years to yeah. change the world. Uh, so that's. <laughs> yeah. 
that's that's where I'm at. Um, and, and uh, yeah, that's exactly how I want the world. We, what you're saying is that everybody is, it, 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 it's not going to matter uh, how people present or, or what they're uh, necessarily capable or incapable of. It's, I just want everybody to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. I want I want people to feel comfortable in their own skin, and I want people to kind of feel comfortable out in society yeah. uh, to get to the places that they want to get to and do what they want to do, whatever that is. It, you know, we, we put so much emphasis on uh, being productive members of society. And, but whatever that, that means to the person, whatever is, is success to that person, whatever gives them fulfillment is what they should be able to do. Yeah. And it, it shouldn't be uh, such a challenge to get out of your house and go and fulfill your passions yeah. or get paid for a job. Uh, it just I, I just want to see a world where people feel accepted. People aren't going to be staring at my son for flapping because he's happy. Yeah. Uh, those kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, here's hoping you do do it in nine years. That would be an incredible achievement. Um, but I think there's there's a lot of people behind this. So, yeah, it would be great if we could. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep fighting. Let's keep spreading the word and it will come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Kelly. Well, it's been really lovely chatting to you. Um, got a lot from it. Thank you very much for your time. Is there anything you want to say as a last message before we finish up? Um, I'll say what I always say. Um, and that's people are often very scared of difference, but different isn't dangerous, mm-hmm. and it's not scary. It's it's really just different. So if you just look at it that way, um, that to me is, if that doesn't change your perspective on life, um, I don't know what will, but yeah, yeah, just accepting of difference. Great. Okay. Well, thank you very, very much again for your time. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week. And thank you once again for listening. We really do appreciate it. If you've got time and you can spare 30 seconds, then go and give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps other people find our content. And we know that our content and our episodes are so helpful to our community with lots of hints and tips and interesting interviews. So go and do your kind deed of the day and leave us a five-star review on iTunes to help others find us. Also, so that you never miss an episode and you get a notification when a new one is available, why not hit subscribe? And that way you'll never miss us. Finally, if you're not already a member of our fantastic Facebook support group, I suggest you go join it. We'd love to see you in there. There's loads of fantastic chat, lots of peer-to-peer support from people in the same boat as you. So go and search on Facebook for the Chewy Gem Sensory Support Group and let us know what you're thinking of our episodes. Speak to you then. Bye.